Well, I am very excited to be able to get to start our series at the movies. Like I said, this is one of my favorite ones each year. It's kind of a whole different creative take on, on messages, a whole different kind of idea. The, the idea behind this is that kind of as we start down this, this faith journey in our life, as we do, we start to see it in everything. It's not just like this, this one little area on Sunday mornings where we go and, and we see, you know, something about God, and then we walk away and, and we wait till next weekend to see something about God. That's not the case. When we kind of start down this faith journey and we're, we're exploring this in our minds, we begin to see it everywhere, in everything that we see, where we go, what we do, and even in something like the movies, which, I mean... How many people out there, like, you guys are movie fans, right? Like, is there nothing better than going and sitting in a movie theater, watching a good movie, having some popcorn? I can hear people munching on popcorn from here. It's amazing. Or some nachos. That's, that's my thing, even more than popcorn. Man, nachos are, like, amazing, right? But we start to see these spiritual things, even in something like seeing a movie. And that's the idea with this, is we want to tie two things that are great. Man, we love going to see the movies. And when we see it, we actually see these deeper truths, sometimes ones that... Maybe the director never even meant to be there. It was, it was an accident, but you see it and you're like, this is exactly like this. And that's what we want to look at today as we jump into this for the first week and these next weeks. Looking at these great movies and then seeing the truths that are kind of hidden inside of them as well. Question for you. How many of you have been to Disneyland or Disney World? Poll. Hands. Okay, lots. Awesome. Awesome. I went there when I was very young, when I was like in third grade. Got to go to Disney World. Pretty magical, all of that. I went again when I was like 19 or 20. My sister and I were down in Florida for like a uh, conference, and we did Disney in a day. We just like drove in there fast, run through it, and then just ran out. And it was, it was a good time as well. Didn't seem as magical when you do it in a day running and you're 19 years old, though, so... But anyways, Disney is really, really amazing for creating these different environments and for creating these different rides. And the last ride that Walt Disney himself worked on before he passed away in 1967 was this brand new ride called Pirates of the Caribbean. And they did tons of work on this, and when they launched it, it was a hit. In fact, they've remade this ride in every one of their other theme parks, the ones overseas, the one out in, Cal- in, in Florida, excuse me, because it started in California. And they remade it, and it was this ride. It actually launched three months after his death in 1967, and it's still going to this day. And what's interesting is movies come from a variety of different inspirations, right? All these different things that kind of are the foundation for the idea of a movie. But strangely, back which is, this is going to freak you guys out who are all my age. In 2003, a movie based off of this ride was made, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Now, did anyone else, when I just said that that was released in 2003, go, oh my God, I'm old? That was 12 years ago now? That felt like it was yesterday. That was me when I saw that date. I was like, wait, what? That was, oh my goodness. But in 2003, this movie came out, Pirates of the Caribbean. And when it was going to be released, people were literally mocking it. They said, who makes a movie off of a theme park ride? This makes no sense, right? They figured it's going to be a flop. It's not going to work out. And this movie came out, and people loved it. Man, it became this, this huge hit, did well. They followed up with two more movies to do a trilogy out of it. Then they did a fourth movie. And believe it or not, they are shooting a fifth movie right now for this series. A fifth movie in the Pirates of the Caribbean series. So it turned out that actually, man, it was a hit. And a lot of people really, really loved this first one. I remember it being in my high school years when a lot of people were like really, really into this. But 
the movie is kind of a theme drawn off of that ride, but then it's expanded. And it's, what it's about is about this, this main man, Captain Jack Sparrow. And he was the pirate of this boat until his first mate basically led a mutiny, kicked him off. And then that group of pirates ended up finding this gold and, and putting this curse on their head. And we also get to follow this man um, who is head over heels in love with a girl that's far out of his reach. We have William Turner, who's a blacksmith, who fell in love with Elizabeth Swan, who just so happens to be the governor's daughter. And we see this kind of love story at the same time in this. So we kind of have both. We have the action, we have the romance. So it plays to everybody's leanings, right? But here's the deal. The focus of the film revolves around this curse that was placed on this treasure. And that's what it's really about. It's about this, this treasure. And most of us, if we hear that word treasure, we would think of something like pirates, right? It's not one that we use on a, a daily basis, that word treasure. But really, all a treasure is is something that is of, of great value, something that is of great worth to us. And that's what it's about. It's about this, this treasure, this this. 882 pieces of gold sitting there. Well, I have a question for you. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? What is the thing in your life that that means the most, that is of primary importance, that is extremely valuable to you, that you would not give it up for any cost, that it is that that treasure in your life? What is it that, that you treasure? When we look through this movie... I'm going to just give you my, my, my takeaway right here. I'm just going to give it to you, okay? I'm not going to tease it. and then bring, I'm just going to give it to you, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? But we see through this movie, and I'm going to believe that as we look at God's Word as well, we see this, this truth. What you treasure determines your trajectory. Now, trajectory is just a word that means the direction in which you're kind of fired off, right? We use that term, like if they launch, if they shoot a cannon, they say, what trajectory is it firing at? And they fire that, that cannonball. What you treasure, what you value most, determines your trajectory, the direction in which your life will go, the direction in which you will be fired off. So this is important, because if what we treasure kind of is that aiming device, then we need to know what we treasure, So let's jump into the movie here right off the bat. What we're going to do is, in this first scene, we're going to see a scene where Elizabeth Swan has been captured by this this mutinous Captain Barbosa. She ended up bringing this piece of gold back to him to stop him from destroying their city anymore. And we're going to see a step in. Real quick, before I do that, how many people have seen the movie? Hands real quick. Okay, so we got a good percentage. This is good. For you guys who haven't, you'll be able to follow right along because we'll go through the majority of the movie as well. But we're sitting down to dinner with Elizabeth and Captain Barbosa, and he's going to explain why this gold is so important and the situation that she finds herself in. Let's watch together. So in this first clip, we get to see Captain Barbosa explaining the and the details of this story and where it kind of comes from, this found gold that, that was placed in this chest and had this curse put upon it that anybody who found it and spent it, that they would be cursed and either be living nor dead. For Captain Barbosa, we see the fact that him, and as far as like where he come from, what Captain Barbosa treasured was, was money. It was about money. It was about getting that gold and having something to be able to spend. But what's interesting is his reaction to it is, is kind of interesting. He says this, we were compelled by greed, but now we're consumed by it. Is your treasure money? 
Is the thing that you care about most, like when I say, what is your treasure? Is it that money that you have? Is it the bank account filled up to a certain level? Is it the things that you have, the certain car that you have, or the house, or the clothes you wear? Is it, is it your money? Is it those, those things? Is that what you treasure most? What's interesting is our culture is very, very, I mean, headlong into the whole idea of money being one of the most important things we value. And so much is about image, so much is about what we can afford, or really what we don't even have to afford, we can borrow to be able to afford in our lives. But what's interesting is, is when we look at God's word, there's, there's comments made about money. One of these was Paul was writing to his kind of his protege, Timothy. And listen to what he says. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, a lot of people, they, they misquote this. They say, see, money's the root of all evil. Well, that's not what he said. He said, the love of money is the root of all evil. Because money's just, man, it's, it's whatever. It can be used good, it can be used bad. But that love, that, that craving for it, that treasuring money... He says it can lead you down a path. It can set your trajectory towards something where you, you walk down it and you don't go where you really want to go. You end up in a place that you never meant to go. The problem with money, the problem with making that your treasure, is that you'll never have enough. There was this crazy, amazingly rich man in Scripture. There's this guy named Solomon. And throughout history, realistically, this was probably the richest man in all of history. Take, like, Bill Gates plus, like, Mark Cuban times Michael Jordan plus whatever, and you still wouldn't reach how much money he had. I mean, this man was astronomically rich at the time when he was the king of this area. And here's what he said as he finished up his life. He wrote this book called called Ecclesiastes, and he says this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I think that's interesting. King Solomon Tons and tons of money. And he says, man, people who are like all about loving money, he says they will never find enough of it. It will never satisfy them if that's their treasure. And what's interesting is Captain Barbosa says the exact same thing, doesn't he? He says this, the drink would not satisfy. Food turned to ash in our mouths and all the pleasurable company in the world could not slake our lust. He said that no matter how much we spent, this curse just kept taking away any of the joy that was associated with it. And there was no happiness until we realized it didn't take us anywhere we wanted to be. What you treasure determines your trajectory. Now, if you treasure money, and and if that's the thing, it's having that bank account, it's having those things realistically, you will probably achieve a lot of those things compared to the people around you. If you make that your focus, most likely you will have a lot of money. You might go far because you're willing to fight for it. You're willing to do that. But the problem is, is you might be disappointed where you get 10 or 20 or 30 years down the line. Your trajectory might actually be aimed in a different direction. You see, just like, like Solomon said or like Captain Barbosa said, where you, maybe you're pointed at something thinking it's going to satisfy, but one day you're going to realize... All of this that I've made, all of this that I've spent, hasn't really brought any satisfaction in my life. As we go into our next scene, Captain Barbosa is taking Elizabeth, and they're going to take her to this place, and the idea is for her blood to be the sacrifice, to break this curse, to finally have it be done. And what we get to do is finally get introduced to Captain Jack Sparrow and to uh, excuse me, Will Turner, who's with him. And we kind of see Will and Jack talking as they're going to rescue Elizabeth. So let's watch this next scene together. 
As we watch this scene, we get to see Jack and uh, Will start talking back and forth. And I like because Jack is trying to kind of slowly change Will's perspective on being a pirate. He knew that his dad was actually a pirate, that he was one of the ones who sailed with him. And he's trying to change his perspective, but Will doesn't want it. But I love this comment that's made. Jack Sparrow says, you are completely obsessed with treasure. And Will says, I'm not obsessed with treasure. To which Jack replies, not all treasure is silver and gold. Because, see, for Will, it's pretty obvious what Will's treasure, isn't it? It's Elizabeth. For Will, his treasure, the thing that means more than anything to him, is this Elizabeth that he met years and years ago. Romance still sells in our culture today. And that whole idea of that hopeless romanticism of someone being your all, your only, everything to you, your treasure, and that works really well in romance. For you, is your treasure a person? Is your treasure a person in your life? Is it that relationship that you have? Is that what you treasure more than anything else? Is that that one thing that really, really matters to you? Now, that being said, the right person can be a treasure. Believe it or not, the Bible says in Proverbs 18.22, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. So for all you guys out there, when you go home tonight, if you want a biblical cutesy name for your wife, be like, come here, my treasure. And they'll be like, see, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. And she'll be so impressed and be like, look at my strong man who knows the Bible. (laughs) The problem, though, the problem, though, with having a person as your treasure, two things. One, first and foremost, oftentimes that that head-over-heels treasure mentality of they're my, my everything, my one and only, they're the most important thing in my life. It's often not love, it's lust. Often it's this, this irrational draw to somebody, this, this craving of them, when really the situation is that it's not love that's built on anything. This movie is a perfect example. Will meets this girl when he's a young boy. You know that they were not grown up together because he was very poor and she was very rich. He's talked to her a handful of times, and he is just crazy, head over heels. She is his treasure. He doesn't even know if he'd like her. He could go on one date with her and be like, this girl is so stuck up and snobby. And Kira Knightley, the way she smiles in her mouth just annoys me. I could never possibly, I could never possibly be with her the rest of my life. But he doesn't even know that. He's more inspired by lust than by love. He just craves her, that she's his treasure. She's his trophy. The problem also with someone being your treasure is that in this world, that will never last. Just being real with you, situation is that often things change, situations change, and even if everything seems to go perfect, all of us are destined to lose the people we love most in our life. It's part of this world that we live in. And if they're that, that one thing, if they're that central treasure, you can find yourself feeling as if you couldn't possibly go on beyond that because that's what your identity is rooted in. Listen to what's said in, in John. 1 John 2, 16 through 17. John is talking about this whole idea and kind of like these, these cravings and these lusts. He says this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. He says that in all reality, all of us have these longings. And very often, these, these people that we treasure, it's more so about, man, what we crave with our body, our eyes, or with statures. Getting that, that, that woman or getting that man. And the reality is, he says, it's not going to last. Everything in the world fades away. 
many times when this, this they are my treasure, they are my everything, man, people are absolutely just heartbroken when something changes, when a circumstance changes. If we're unable to keep our, our treasure and we feel as if we've lost everything. People, that's a pretty good place to put his treasure, but here's the problem. You are going to put so much pressure on a relationship that you're going to ruin it. People can't be your everything. Even that person who's that closest companion, they can't be your everything. It's impossible. They'll fall short of it, and all of a sudden, you'll start resenting them for things that they never even really promised to do or you never really agreed upon, but they were supposed to be your everything, and they fall short of it. It's problematic. What you treasure determines your trajectory. If you treasure a person, most likely that relationship is probably going to be very, very romantic or maybe very, very important in your life. But the problem is you could find yourself disappointed because you have little ability to control whether or not that relationship stays in your life. So you could find yourself in a place where you lose that treasure and then who are you from that moment on? What you treasure determines your trajectory. As we step into scene three, Obviously, Elizabeth's blood, excuse me, was not able to break this curse. So it's still on them. They capture Will. They capture Jack. They capture all of them. And they take Elizabeth and Jack, and they're going to maroon them on an island, leave them to die, and leave with Will to go back and see if his blood would break this curse. And this is the next scene that we walk in. Let's watch it together. As we look at this next scene, it's pretty great. We get to... Find out that Jack maybe isn't as miraculous as he seems in regards to how he escaped from this. But we also get to see a little bit deeper into who Jack is as he drinks far too much rum. Seeing him guzzle that just makes me sick to my stomach as he passes out on the beach. We get to see some of his, his inner workings. He starts revealing something of what's deep down underneath. And it's interesting because we see the insight that for Jack, man, Jack's treasure is freedom. For Jack, that's what he's all about. I love he says this. He says, a ship is not just a keel and a hull and deck and sails. That's what a ship needs. But what a ship is, what the black pearl really is, is freedom. See, for Jack, what his whole life is about, man, his treasure, the thing he values most is that ship with, which gives him freedom, the ability to go and be whoever he wants to be. Is your treasure freedom? Is the thing that you value most that thing that you treasure, the thing that you would never want to give up, is it your freedom? Is it your ability to be who you want to be, to do what you want to do, that nobody can hold you down or or put you in a box or hold you back, that you're that confident, independent person? And to you, man, the most important thing is that I can take care of myself. I can hold my own. Man, I, I work for what I get. You're that kind of person, that your freedom is what you value most. It's interesting because as we look at God's Word, Peter one time kind of wrote about this idea of, of freedom and being able to do what, whatever we wanted to do, go wherever we wanted to go, eat what we want to eat, drink what we want to drink. No one's going to tell me what to do. It's interesting because he says this in 2 Peter 2, 18 through 19, talking about people who believe like this. He says, They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who barely escape from a lifestyle of deception. Listen, it says, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you're a slave to whatever controls you. You see, the problem with it is Peter says, there's all these people who are all about their freedom, my rights. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. And he said, but the problem is, is they're deceived. 
They think they're walking into freedom because I can drink what I want, go where I want, do what I want. But the reality is, he says, those things that they count as freedoms, they're actually shackles around their hands and feet. People know this who've walked down this path. Some people have lived their lives having a drink, having a drink, and sooner or later the drink has them. You see, the problem is, is what we give ourselves to, it grabs a hold of us. And all of a sudden, that person who says, I'm all about freedom, all about freedom, they find themselves deceived, realizing that they're not free at all. They're slaves to the very things that they thought they were chasing because they were free. What you treasure determines your trajectory, determines the direction you're going to go. If for you it's all about freedom, it's all about your ability to be you, that no one's going to tell you what to do, I'm telling you, sooner or later you might be really disappointed. Right now you might think, I'm a self-confident person. Maybe you're that guy that's no strings attached. No one's going to hold me down. Maybe you're that girl who's, you know, I'm a take-care-of-myself girl. I don't need anybody. Maybe you're that young person who's just getting out from underneath their parents, and you're like, I need nobody to tell me what to do. The problem is, is a few years down the road, maybe, maybe a lot of years down the road, you might find yourself realizing that what you thought was freedom was actually slavery. And all of a sudden, you aren't so free. You're just in the same situation. Instead of someone telling you what to do, it's something. Or maybe you walk into something that really it captures you and you can't get back out of it. As we wrap up this movie, we go to kind of our, our final scene of the movie that all comes together. Um, Elizabeth and Jack, of course, get off this island with the Royal Navy. And they go to try to save Will. And it's going to be the Royal Navy's fighting against all these pirates. Jack is fighting against Captain Barbosa. And we have Will and Elizabeth who are fighting to break this curse at this time. So let's watch this final scene together. So at our conclusion of our movie... We finally get to see, man, the curse broken, that we see Will come, he gives his blood, the curse is broken, and the enemy is, of course, defeated, which you probably expected, right? The bad guy's going to lose. But when I saw this, I think it perfectly paired. As I was watching this movie, what stood out to me more than anything else was this, this concept of the fact that there was a curse that had to be paid back with blood. It's really interesting because at the beginning, Elizabeth is, is met by Captain Barbosa, and he explains basically that, although, you know, she says, I don't believe in ghost stories, he says, you're in one. You're in the middle of a ghost story, so you better start believing. You see, what struck me at this is, this is the reality of actually where we sit in humanity. The way the kind of universe went was that God created this universe, that he created us as humanity to be in perfect relationship with him that we walked in perfection with him in the garden, and that, man, our, our, our senior father, the very first father of us, Adam, that he sinned and turned away from God, and he broke one of his commandments. And what happened is, is the Bible puts it as almost like sin was added to our DNA, and from that day forward, every one of us was born with sin. And the problem is, the way the Bible puts it, is that the wage of sin is death. And for all of our sin, we're racking up kind of this cosmic debt that needs to be paid for. Day in, day out, that as each of us just naturally turn towards sin without any, man, pushing. We don't have to be taught how to. We just do. We fall short of, of God's perfect standard. Man, that all of us are racking up this debt of sin. And throughout, from the very beginning, people have wondered, how can we pay for this sin? How can we pay it off? If we're racking up this debt, how could we possibly pay for it and make ourselves right with God again? And in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice bulls and goats, and they would shed the blood, trying to say maybe this blood would, would cover it. But the reality is, is all that was was ever just a symbol. It never actually worked. 
that we needed blood, the right blood, to break the curse. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about it. In Hebrews 10, 4-5, he said, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You see, the reality is just like Will Turner, Jesus was the blood that we needed to break the curse. That there was this curse upon us that every one of us are, are born with sin and racking up this debt. And there's this curse that we can't possibly fix or break. And we needed this specific blood to be able to do it. And that blood was the blood of Jesus Christ, of God himself come to earth. That Jesus came and he lived in a real human body but never once sinned. So there was no sin inside of him. That as he went then and he was murdered, he could not die because he had no sin. So it says that he carried all of the sin of the world. And when his blood was spilled, his blood paid all of the debt for each and every one of us and broke the curse finally. He was that sacrifice that we needed. The only blood that could break the curse. This is what John says about it in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, explaining why would God do this? Why would God come to the earth himself and pay this debt off? He says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away the sins. Now, I have good news for you today, friends. We're talking about treasure. God treasures you. God treasures you. We talk about what means the most to us, what we care about the most. Let me tell you, the story of this is a God who he treasures you. He was willing to come to this earth, man, to be made fun of, to be spit on, to be tortured, and then to die and say, you don't have to pay that debt. Let me pay it for you. Come and be with me. God treasures you. Now the question is this, do you treasure God? God treasures you. Do you treasure God? What you treasure determines your trajectory. Now if we treasure money, people, freedom, like I said, those might give us a season of comfort or a season of happiness on this earth. Most likely, even by the end of our lives, they might fall short of what our expectations are. But I can tell you in the eternal, in the grand scheme of it, when this life ends and we move on to the next, which all of us see at the end of our lives, that someday soon this end will come to a close, I'm telling you that if our treasure is any of those first three, we have no hope for that next step. That our treasure determines our trajectory, and if that is the thing we value most, the reality is we will not make it to the other side. God says that he treasures you, and the response is he says, would you treasure me? And what it means is simply accepting that gift that he gave and making him that, that number one spot in our life. That as we realize that he paid this eternal sin for us, that all of a sudden it supersedes all those other treasures in our life and we realize that if someone was willing to do that, I'm willing to make them, man, preeminent first, most important, most valuable in my life. I'm willing to take the death grip off of my freedom, my money, those people, and say, Jesus, you know what? If you're willing to pay for my sin, I'm willing to do what I can in my life for you. What do you treasure? What you treasure determines your trajectory. If you treasure Jesus, that last breath you have here on this earth, the next one will be with him in eternity. That will be your trajectory.
What I want to do is just give you a moment to respond to this. I know people are in all different areas. Some people are here. They've been coming for a while. Some people, it's your very first time. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Some people are at a place where it's like, I shared this. It made sense for the first time ever. Some of you guys, as you're hearing this, you're like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of questioning, and that's awesome. We are so glad that you're here. What I'd love to do is just close your eyes for one second. Give the person next to you just a moment to have their moment alone, okay? Just everybody, this isn't a group thing. It's just you right now and God, nothing else. So you just close your eyes. And here's what I have for you. If today, for you, it finally made sense, it finally made sense and you realize this makes sense, that there's this, this curse and I, I never even understood that Jesus, that that was the reason why he came and why he died. I heard about that whole thing, but I never got that that was it, that he shed his blood to break that curse in my life, that I could have eternal life with him when this life ends. If you heard that today and it just made sense and it clicked and you say, you know what, I need to accept that gift. Man, I need to get this locked down and realize I have that connection with Jesus. I want to make him my treasure. If it's you today, you can feel it right now inside your heart. You can feel the Holy Spirit kind of pushing on your heart and pushing you forward. If it's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to shoot up your hands so I can see them because I want to be able to pray for you, okay? One, two, don't miss it, three. Shoot up your hands. I see you back there. Yeah, I see you. Anyone else today? Yeah, I see you, man. Anyone else today? Anyone else? Not too late. Go ahead and shoot it up if it's you. All right, and these two, let's pray together with them, all of us. You can put your hands down. Let's pray with these two who are taking this step today. And let's all just pray together. All of us who have prayed this prayer before, let's pray with them to make it easier for them. This isn't some sort of magical prayer, but it's a step of faith that we take. So pray this with me. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. Become my treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys who uh, just took that step, I'm so excited for you. God bless you guys, absolutely. Before you guys head out for YouTube, man, feel free to stop back at guest services. We have a What Next packet where it's got some information for you. For all of you, if you're coming, you're like, you know what? You know, I'm just exploring this. I'm kind of auditing this. I'm not quite sure yet. You are welcome here. We are so glad that you're here. What I'd love to invite you guys to do, come back in these next weeks. If you're saying, oh, I'm not really sure. I don't really know all this is. Come back and let God continue to speak into your life over these next weeks and see if he would show you something that's so real. All right? Take those popcorn with you. Give that to somebody. Bring someone with you next week as we continue the series at the movies. Thank you so much. God bless you.